This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3101 for Monday the 22nd of June 2020. Today's show is entitled, Metrics. It is the 10th anniversary show of Andrew Conway, and is about 26 minutes long, and carries a clean flag. The summary is, Elaman's explanation of the mathematical concept of metric. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. HPR folks, this is McNallu here. My real name is Andrew, and I want to talk to you about metrics. Now, before telling you uh, exactly what a metric is, I'll tell you why I'm recording it. Now, I play um, a game called Elite Dangerous, which some of you will be familiar with. Uh, And a friend of mine, who also plays it, uh, asked me, knowing that I had some interest in things astronomical, about something called an Alcubierre drive, and could that be equivalent to the the frameshift drive, which is sort of like the warp drive that you use in that game. Now, the interesting thing, and I'll confess, I didn't know very much about it. Alcubierre, I think, was a Spanish physicist who had come up with a rigorous solution to Einstein's field equations in general relativity. Um, that uh, give you a solution which is probably the closest theoretical description we have to something that we call a warp drive. So it's an absolute bona fide thing. Uh, Now, uh, maybe in a future episode I might get into that. Um, But uh, that led me to a slight obsession, a bit of a rabbit hole that I went down um, and revising what I understood about metrics because I did the full tensor calculus treatment as an undergraduate when I did my degree 30 years ago and absolutely loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Um, Yeah, okay, so I might be a bit weird. Um, So I went back during the lockdown and dug out my old books and notes and and had a good read over it. I'll I'll link to the book that I I read, which actually has a a um, a non-tensor calculus version uh, approach to general relativity, which I think some people might appreciate if you've got some level of maths ability, but not necessarily tensor calculus. So I read that, and then uh, it just so happened I was playing the uh, HPR Dungeons and Dragons that Klaatu has been has been kind enough to organise, and he mentioned when we're talking about moving through Dungeons Dungeons and Dragons space that Dungeons and Dragons space is non-Euclidean, and uh, he said, oh. That I, I think he said something along the lines, I'd like to hear a show about that, or some something which I interpreted as meaning that. Anyway, so here it is, here is that show. So first of all, what is a metric? Well, in the context that I'm talking about, I'm talking about the strict uh, mathematical definition of it. It's essentially the generalised definition of a ruler. You know, a, a ruler as in the thing that you use to measure the distance between two points, or a tape measure. 
Uh, ruler's better, because something fixed and small about ruler, which, as you'll see, is important. So if a metric is a, just a ruler, why not just use a ruler? Why do we need a metric? Well, more specifically, uh, if all you want to do is measure a distance, then you can use some form of distance measuring device like a ruler or a sort of laser ranger or whatever it is you get your hands on. If that's what you want to do, just measure a distance in the real world. But really, a metric comes into its own when you want to turn sets of coordinates into a distance. So let's say you've got point A with some coordinates x, y, and you've got some um, uh, other some other point B with coordinates, um, let's say um, W, Z, um, and you want to calculate the distance between these two points using those coordinates. That is when you would call uh, up the help of a metric. So a metric is a mathematical ruler that works on coordinates, two sets of coordinates, and gives you the distance. Well, it isn't just that either, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll come to that. But essentially a metric turns coordinates into distances. So, okay, enough of this being general. What's the simplest example of a metric? Well, in one dimension, the difference in x-coordinate is equal to the distance. So, if you like, distance s between two points x1 and x2 is, guess what, s equals x2 minus x1. In fact, it is the modulus of that, the absolute value, because you don't, for distance, must be positive. So, uh, so, uh, uh, or you could define it as s squared equals x2 minus x1 all squared, where you always take the positive root, that's another way to look at it. Anyway, the point is, yeah, if you're just in, in one dimension, you can only have one coordinate, therefore your distance is just a change in that coordinate. Well, actually, you could do some wacky stuff even in one dimension, but I don't see any point in discussing that any further. That is a rather dull example. So let's go on to something slightly, slightly more interesting. Two dimensions, a surface, but let's assume it's a flat surface, so the, the top of a table, the page of a book, a flat surface. Now, uh, the distance, so the metric in this case, well, certainly not the metric, but something very close to the metric is the distance between two points, the distance squared, let's call it s, so s squared is equal to the difference in x squared plus the difference in y squared. So that's the, the, the distance squared between two points. And so um, if you want to measure, say, the distance of a point from the origin, the point zero, zero, and the point is at coordinates x, y, then the distance s is simply the square root of x squared plus y squared, or s squared equals x squared plus y squared. Now, you might be thinking, isn't that just Pythagoras' theorem? And the answer is yes, yes it is. That is Pythagoras' theorem. Um, and it, it comes about because usually when we define our coordinates, we say that x and y are perpendicular, are orthogonal. That, that is, the x-axis is at right angles to the y-axis. Now, we needn't do that. We might choose two axes 
that are not orthogonal, that are a different angle than 90 degrees, as long as that isn't zero, it will work perfectly well. You know, if you define two x-axes, then you can, it will be one-dimensional again, obviously. So, um, yes, but it'll be a bit a bit wacky, so we don't, and Pythagoras wouldn't work. Um, so apart from wacky non-orthogonal coordinates, uh, that, as you might call them, which would generate a rather bizarre metric, uh, we would have to multiply x and y coordinates together, uh, is there any other useful coordinates in two dimensions? Well, uh, there are. Um, I mean, in fact, if just to take a small digression, uh, the two-dimensional uh, coordinate system we use for household and, well, business or any addresses in real life, if you want to send mail to somebody or find somebody's address, physical address, is the two coordinates we give is the first coordinate is the number of the the building or the house and the road, and the second coordinate is the name of the road. Now, of course, you can't easily define a metric with a name, uh, so it's not a numerical coordinate system, but it is a coordinate system of a kind. So that you can think of as a two-dimensional. There's two bits of information that together should uniquely identify which place you're supposed to go. Of course, you may have um, two roads with the same name in different cities, so it's not quite as simple as that. But you take my point. Point is, that's a coordinate system where you really can't generate a metric very easily. So is there a more useful one or a, that might be useful in a flat two-dimensional surface? Uh, and the answer is yes. Now, the one we've just made is X and Y with orthogonal axis. We call that Cartesian, Cartesian system. But there are occasions when that isn't the best one to use. And instead, we want to use something called polar coordinates. And in that, instead of X and Y, you define the radius. So you choose a point which is, the, again, the origin, your, your zero point. And there you see the radius coordinate is zero. And then you measure the distance between that point and any other point of interest, and you assign one coordinate called the radius, which is r, just the distance from the centre. And then, of course, you need a second coordinate, and the second coordinate is an angle. So I'd like you to imagine, um, imagine on the page in front of you, uh, if you have, imagine there is a page in front of you, a bit of paper, and imagine you draw a vertical line on it. And that is the reference axis. And so, and you put a point somewhere on that line and call that the origin. And then you draw a point P, which is a distance R from that origin. And then you imagine a line connecting the origin O and the point P. And then you measure an angle from that the upper part of that vertical line going clockwise down to the line. And we call this angle phi, sometimes called the azimuthal angle, phi. And so in polar coordinates, if you're given the radius and that angle phi, you've precisely identified the point and it's called, uh, yeah, see, that's called um, polar or flat polar coordinates. Now, why we, might you want to use that? Well, one example might be on a dartboard. On a dartboard, if uh, it's you, you get a different score depending on the radius that you are from the, the centre. If it's r equals zero, you scored the bullseye, 50 points. Um, and then if you go up from the radius, there's an outer bullseye layer, and then there's scoring regions, the triple scoring regions, 
in a small band about halfway out and then around the edge there's a double scoring region. So the radius coordinate will tell you which one of those you're in. But also it's divided up into 20 sectors. For example, if you the sector that goes straight up, if like a, a slice of a pie from the middle uh, with centred in the angle phi equals zero, that is a score of 20 points. So if you're writing a computer game dart simulation, of which there were many, I remember growing up in the 1980s, um, then you would determine R and phi, and once you've got those, it's a simple matter to turn uh, to determine what the score is. So X and Y is generated in the screen. Calculate from that R and phi, then you can quite quickly calculate from that uh, your score for, for the dart and that virtual game of darts. So that's one reason why you might want to use spherical polars. And, sorry, spherical, flat polars. Spherical polars will be in our future. The other more common reason I can think of is for finding your way upon the Earth. So let's say your home is, is the origin, and this is a system that you might use, for example, if you were orienteering. Um, uh, it's a, a fun hobby where you're trying to get from one point to another. Um, and your, ho your home is, is the origin, and you need to get to a point P, and you're told that it's a distance of one kilometre away at a compass bearing of 90 degrees. So that's your R and phi. R equals one kilometre, phi equals 90 degrees, which translates on the compass wheel to due east. So you can see that um, distance and bearing uh, are actually a form of polar coordinates. So with that, you might wonder, hmm, well, Pythagoras works for distance when we've got x and y. We just say distance squared equals x squared plus y squared, as I said before. So does it work for polar coordinates? Is distance squared equals r squared plus phi squared? Well, the, this is where we run into problems, because that isn't true. Pythagoras doesn't hold. For starters, you can't... I mean, if you're, if you're into physics at all, you know you can You can only add quantities of the same units. You can't add apples and oranges. You can't add uh, metres and degrees or radians or any other measure of angle. You can't do that. So how do we... Uh, do Pythagoras in two dimensions. Well, now of course there's a reason I'm saying this, because what I'm really after is not a version of Pythagoras in two-dimensional uh, polar coordinates, but I'm really after what's called the metric, which is what we're really after. Well, let's think about how you would measure distance. Now, if somebody said to you, walk north to the point um r equals one kilometre, phi equals zero, and you start at origin, so that's obvious, you would, you would be walking north. Well, clearly the distance that you travel in doing that would be just the change in radial coordinate, which goes from zero to one. If you then were told to walk, continue walking uh, with phi held constant at zero degrees, that is walking north, from one kilometre to two kilometre, well, that would be another change in radial coordinate of one kilometre, a distance another distance travelled of one kilometre, total distance, total change in radial coordinate, again, the same. So it's clear that there's a, a fairly direct link, if you're walking in a straight line at least, between distance and radial coordinate. But what happens if we 
change phi? Well, let's imagine we've walked out to one kilometer and then we walk around a little little bit of the circle. Well, if if we walked around the whole circle of radius one kilometer, we'd have covered a distance of two pi times the radius r, two pi r, the whole circumference of a circle. So if we only walk along, say, a quarter of it, then it would be a quarter of two pi r, that is pi r divided by two. And you can see where I'm going with this, is it's just the change in phi divided by 360 degrees, or if you prefer to work in radians, you divide it by two times pi. Anyway, so you just work out, if you're walking, if you're changing, if you're holding r constant and changing phi, then you just work out what uh, what fraction the change in phi is of the full uh, circle of 360 degrees. But you'll see the problem here, depending on your starting r coordinate, whether it's one kilometer or two kilometer, whatever, the circles will be of different sizes. So for r equals one, uh, the 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 circle the circumference of the circle would be two pi. For r equals two, it would be double that. It would be a, a circle of circumference of four pi. So you're changing. So the same change in phi is going to scale with your radius. In other words. If you walk around a bigger circle, you're going to go a bigger distance. So your change in phi is going to depend on the radius. That should be clear. Now that's introduced a bit of a problem for our metric. But nevertheless, we can uh, introduce a metric for two-dimensionals uh, polar coordinates. And it goes like this. The change in distance squared, or we can just say the distance squared, due to a small change in coordinates, is equal to the small change in the radius squared plus radius squared times the small change in the phi coordinate squared. Okay, so you'll see now we're adding a distance to a distance. But why am I saying a small change? Well, because the concept of distance that we have now uh, is complicated by the fact that one of our coordinates, phi, the distance we travel when we change phi depends on what radius we're at. Or in the, in the metrics as I just spoke it, uh, you'll notice that r squared multiplies on the change in phi. This is quite unlike the case in uh, Cartesian coordinates where that um, the change in x and y don't get multiplied by what x or y actually is. It's, you know, the metric works everywhere no matter what your x and y, but now in flat polar coordinates, we lose that. And that means that we can only talk about very small journeys with the metric, very small changing in coordinates. It will hold, but only if we talk about very, very small distances. Now, it takes a bit of mind bending to understand this, but what we need to introduce here is something called infinitesimals. Now, just as we can think about infinity, which is very, 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 very big, but also at the same time, not actually a number, 
it's just bigger than any other number. We can also talk about sort of the opposite of infinity in a sense, an infinitesimal, which is a number which is very, 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 very small, but not a number, but not so small that it's zero. <laughs> okay, so this is a bit mind-bending. And in calculus, we instead of seeing a change uh, in distance, for example, we would say uh, distance s, we would denote that by ds, the two letters written together. It's a little bit confusing, because it doesn't mean d multiplied by s, it means the infinitesimal associated with a small change in s. So, yeah, so to, to restate the metric in those terms, ds squared equals dr squared plus r squared times d phi squared. And if we go on a journey, we now have to say how we get from point, literally, we have to say how we get from point A to B, and then we add up lots of little tiny infinitesimal steps along that route. So that's why, if you remember at the beginning, I said a metric is, a, is really like defining a ruler, a, a very, very infinite, infinitesimally small ruler that allows you to follow any curve as detailed as you like. A disclaimer, this doesn't work in fractals, but that's another HPR episode. So the metric allows you, if you specify a path between two points, this metric and indeed the Cartesian one would work as well, though it's so much simpler you don't notice it, it you would be able to add up all the little changes in dr and d phi according to that metric to work out the distance travelled. So uh, that is the proper definition of a metric, as I've just given it to you, where um, you get away from uh, the the idea of the Cartesian metric, which is deceptively simple. In fact, um, the Cartesian metric is a very special case of a metric where, like I said before, where you are in the space relative to your origin, your, your the actual values are x and y coordinate, do not change the form of the metric. Uh, and that's why Pythagoras works uh, with those coordinates. But it doesn't work in general. Pythagoras is only is, is part of the fact that, is, is a consequence of the fact Cartesian coordinates are a very special kind of coordinate, unique in fact. So, um, next question that I'd like to address. Can we use Cartesian or polar coordinates, as I've just described them, on the surface of the Earth? Well, the answer is yes and no. Yes, you can use them over small distances. In other words, uh, as long as you're not using a piece of paper so big that it starts to have to fold over the curvature of the Earth, <laughs> as long as you're using a, a small flat piece of paper, as long as you're working on a small distance across the Earth, um, then yes, Cartesian or polar coordinates, you know, a simple compass bearing in a distance, will work fine. But because the radius of the Earth is roughly 6,400 kilometres, once you start getting to distances much above, say, yeah, rule of thumb, 100 kilometres, depending on your application, you'll need to start worrying about the fact you're on a curved surface. So, for example, if I was to drive from where I am in Glasgow to London, I wouldn't really give two hoots about the fact that I'm driving across a spherical Earth. It's just not that important. In fact, the wiggles of the roads and the motorways and you know, all of that is more important on that scale than the fact that I'm travelling, what is it, about six, seven hundred kilometres. 
But if I was flying a plane from, say, London to Singapore, I'd very much want to be taking the fastest route to save fuel if I was an airline. And to do that, we would want to fly not in a straight line, uh, but along the shortest distance over the surface of a sphere, which is what the Earth is. In other words, we can't pretend that the Earth surface is flat once we're travelling thousands of kilometres. If there are any flat earthers listening to this, I suggest that you probably stop listening to me now, because I think you're probably not going to like anything I'm about to say I move in, as I move into the topic of two-dimensional curved surfaces. Or maybe maybe you like fantasy, and if, in which case, if you like fantasy, then you can stick with it. Um, so why? What, what's the problem going on here? Well, it's, like I said earlier, a... Uh, the, the Earth's surface may look locally flat, but once you get to large distances, you start to notice uh, that it's curved. And this means that the that you're dealing with something that's intrinsically curved. It's intrinsically non-Euclidean, uh, meaning you can't... And non-Euclidean means, really, is the same as saying you can't use a Cartesian coordinate system. It's just not going to work. You can't use a two-dimensional one. You could use a three-dimensional one, actually, but you can't use a two-dimensional Cartesian coordinate system on a two-dimensional curved surface like the surface of the Earth. I mean, the Earth is a three-dimensional object, but we're only talking about its surface, assuming that it's a, a sphere at the moment. It also means, if you're dealing with non-Euclidean ge- geometry, Pythagoras will not hold in general. It will hold locally, and of course you can use Cartesian coordinates locally in much shorter distances than the radius of curvature that you're dealing with, but not generally. And I think at that point I shall uh, I shall pause, uh, in fact I shall stop this episode, and in my next episode I'm going to talk about a curved two-dimensional surface embedded in a three-dimensional space. And then, I don't know if in that episode, but if I get requests, I might do some more and start talking about curved three-dimensional spaces, and maybe after that, curved four-dimensional spaces spaces and space-time and general relativity. I don't know. Well, if I get the equivalent in the comments of a load of rotten tomatoes on, and oh my god, my brain's exploded, uh, maybe I won't do those shows. Um, but I think I'll probably will do the next one. So until then, thank you very much uh, for listening. And if I've got anything wrong, please do let me know in the show notes or indeed uh, by recording an HPR show that explains this topic better than I can do it. Thanks very much. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. 
If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.